morning. I'm doing the Bible reading this morning, which is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 29. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up my, in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission of God, like by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in all its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. May Christ impact the words of this on our hearts today. Good morning again. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Or you can get, in your, get on your smartphone and do that. Uh, looking around the room, I realize um, that while many of you are familiar, there's many of you I don't know very well. And uh, that is both exciting and a bit of a concern. Um, I want you to know that we want to know you. Uh, we want to get to know you. We want to, to walk with you uh, as we walk after Christ. Uh, but we're glad that you're here because more than the fellowship of a pastor or a fellowship even of another believer, it is your connection to Jesus Christ that is going to sustain you throughout the course of your life, wherever you go. 
And I'm excited this morning because this text puts before us quite plainly and quite prominently just how great Jesus is. So would you pray with me as we open the word together? Father, we come before you and we look to the scriptures now to find strength and understanding for our spirits. We pray that you would renew our minds, Lord, as we contemplate who we are in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. One might say that the death certificate on the church has been uh, written a number of times, but it has yet to be filed. It has yet to be accepted or received. That is because we, the church, are connected to a living head, that is Jesus Christ, risen and reigning, as we saw in the book of Hebrews, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, sitting at the right hand of the Father. You may feel like you've come to an institution this morning. You haven't come to an institution. Uh, you may feel like you've come to a local club or a community group. Can I say you're not coming to a community group? Uh, you have come to the people of God who have rallied under the banner of Jesus Christ. We have come this morning in fellowship and grateful response to what Jesus has done for us. But we've been asking this question, what is the church? Because every generation needs to understand that for themselves. And every generation, just as they need to believe the gospel, every generation needs to embody the gospel as the church. In this series, we've been looking at sort of three main aspects, the church in relation to the Father, the church in relation to the Son, and the church in relation to the Spirit. We're in sort of the middle part here, uh, and we saw last week that the church is redeemed of the Lord, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, and we meant to be looking this week at the church as the glory of Christ, but I have news for you, bonus episode. <laughs> extended director's cut, uh, we, we are going to be looking at the body of Christ again. It's because this is such a rich, rich picture for Paul, a rich picture in the New Testament of what it is to belong to Christ. And so last week we saw that as the church, we are joined to Christ as members of his body. And we, we sort of spent the bulk of the time looking at what it meant to be a part of that body, the, the diversity and the unity that we have as different parts, the coordination of those parts in the church. This week we're going to focus more on the head. But just, just to throw it up again in case you missed it, this is sort of where we landed and I don't expect you to get all of this down, but I'm just going to read it again in the hope that God's going to bring some of it back to mind. So what did it mean that we were members of Christ's body? Last week we saw that as the church, we are the tangible expression of his person. The tangible meaning things that can be touched, heard, felt. The tangible expression of his person. We're the gracious, gracious recipients of his headship. We'll look more at that today. We're the growing expansion of his fullness the coordinated expression of his power, the physical manifestation of his presence, the visible representation of his authority, and the beloved objects of his affection. There's a lot in there. There's a lot there. I encourage you, take a look at this on the screen behind me, and just ask the Lord, is there something about this that he wants you to press deeper into? When we finished off, we talked about how transformation for the church means living as the body of Christ. But that's only possible because Christ lives in us. 
And so we talked how embodying, the body, embodying Jesus' person as a church means that we will ground our identity in belonging to him and not in our performance. It means that we're going to look to Jesus for our purpose as well as for our provision. It means we're going to yield to the will of God by obeying Jesus Christ. And we're going to maintain unity through honesty and peace with one another. And we're going to take our part and let other people take their part as well. These are just, just to bring back to your mind. But here we come to part two. What is the church? The church is the body of Christ, part two, bonus edition, right? And the big question I want to ask this morning is, who is directing us? Who is directing the church? Now, we can answer that question from a, from a conceptual framework. We can say, okay, well, you know, I'll get my Bible out and, I'll, and I'll, I'll, or I'll get my theology books out and I'll line up, okay, this is who's directing the church. We can ask that just sort of experientially, like for us now, who's, who's directing the church? Maybe after the last couple of years, you're wondering what's going on with the church? Anybody in charge of this thing? <laughs> and I'm not just talking WDBC, I'm talking the, 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 the church universal. We watch brothers and sisters fighting, we watch people dividing, we watch Christian leaders falling, we watch bad fruit. Who's directing the church? And we can be tempted to think of Christ as the head, as this kind of this vacated sort of blank space. Okay, Christ is the head. Is he just a figurehead, you know, like, the, like that part on the ship, you know, the, where, where they have the front of the ship has, has this big ornate figure. It doesn't really do anything. Is, is that what it means that Christ is the head? He's just this, this sort of representative figurehead. Is there anything going on between the ears of the head? Is there some sort of coordinated will or purpose? The church sort of feels like this kind of ratty sign, you know. <laughs> well, we'll put the sign up. <laughs> but, you know, it's a bit faded. <laughs> it's a bit passe, a bit outdated. Mariah, if you don't mind, I might get you to just turn my mic down and touch things. Who is directing the church? It's really important that we understand the answer to this question. Is anyone directing the church? Well, you say, well, that's the pastors and the elders. They're, they're directing the church. But is that it? Well, we're Baptists, so priesthood of all believers. It's, it's the democracy, the democracy of the members. They're, they're directing the church. Who's directing the church? Is there some grand idea? Is there some grand plan? Is there some purpose in all of this? Or are we simply people gathering together Sunday to Sunday when we feel like it, when there's nothing else on, to just sort of repeat truths to one another, hoping that they stick? Well, our big idea this morning is that church is the first place, the first place we should see Jesus' supremacy. Of all the places that one might look in the world to understand the supremacy of Christ, there ought to be no other place where the world can get an unfailing answer to the supremacy of Jesus than in the church. They ought to be able to look at the church and say, wow, this Jesus must be fantastic. We're going to look this morning at the letter to uh, the Colossians. And I'll give you a bit of context in just a moment. But in terms of the outline, 
this is the big idea that the church is the first place we should see Jesus' supremacy. This text is going to give us three reasons why. Three reasons why. I'm just going to jump ahead for a moment. If we look here, we see that the reasons why the church is the supremacy or should be showing the supremacy of Jesus is first because we know we, for, excuse me, first because of who we know Jesus to be. Secondly, because of what we know Jesus has done. And thirdly, how we know Jesus lives, okay? When the world looks at the church, they should see the supremacy of Christ because number one, of all people, we know who Jesus is. Secondly, because we know what he's done. And thirdly, because we, how we know we live. In other words, our, our experiential engagement with the living Christ. So we'll look at these reasons in just a minute, but I want to give you some background on the book of Colossians. First of all, the letter to Colossae is written to a church that Paul had not visited. They didn't know Paul. They knew his servant Epaphras, but they didn't know who Paul was. They hadn't met him face to face. And when they come to, when they come, when Paul writes this letter, um, he's writing to a church whose faith was under attack. Their faith is under attack, and specifically it's under attack because there's a heresy going around about the need to be worshiping angels. And the threat here is that they're going to be moved off of the gospel. If you want to destroy a church, the quickest way is to get the church to stop worshiping Jesus Christ. I don't mean that simply in terms of what creed they subscribe to. I mean in actual practice. If you want to derail a church, the quickest way to derail a church is to sever its connection with the head, to get the believers not worshiping Christ, but serving idols, serving false gods. It's the same thing that happened with the children of Israel. And the threat that's going on here for the church at Colossae is these people have come in and they've started getting their minds engaged in the idea that angels are special and they need to revere angels. Certainly there was probably some sort of supernatural encounter. Of course we believe angels exist. The scriptures attest to angels, but there's people in the church who are starting to worship them. Now Paul's antidote to all of this is that Christ is proclaimed. And so he's saying to them that Jesus is really all the Colossians need because he's all in all. And if you follow the flow of, of this letter, Paul's going to start with a standard way of saying, thank you, uh, I'm glad that you are believers now. He's going to pray that they grow in wisdom. He's then going to turn his attention to Jesus, and he's going to offer this wonderful statement, this hymn of praise to the Son and who Jesus is. And then he's going to bring the Colossians back into the picture, and he's going to situate them in there. He's going to say that the Colossians actually were reconciled by the Son, and then he's going to put himself in the picture, and he's going to say... I actually am serving you because of the Son. And so everything for the church revolves around Jesus. 
The church is the first place we should see Jesus' supremacy. Is that what we see when we look at the church? Is that what the world sees when they look at us? Do they see a group of people devoted to Jesus Christ? How about you? Can you say that's a hallmark of your life? Well, you know, I've been friends with Bob for such a long time, and if there's one way to describe him, it's just passionate about Jesus. You know, Sue, she's, she's been my coworker for a long time, and, and, and you know, I, she's just always involved with the church and her faith. It just really seems to be the cornerstone of her life. Is that what's known about us? Do they look at us and see the greatness of Jesus? You see, sometimes the church can be its own. <laughs> we can actually dishonor the head. We can dishonor Christ. You say, how do we do that? Well, we walk around and we say, oh, I got to go to church. Oh, I got this other church thing I got to do. Oh, man. What a chore. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Here we go, another sermon. Didn't read my Bible today. Gee, that's a chore. I guess I should have prayed about that. You see, in subtle ways, we just, we, we, we cut the legs out from under our role, which is to support, to lift up, to exalt the head, to reflect the glory of our head, who is Jesus Christ. My iPad has fully died, so we're going to go with paper. So I apologize if I'm not as uh, in tune with the slides today. So, why should the church be the place where Jesus is seen to be supreme? First, number one, because we know, because of who we know Jesus to be. I should have wrote something a bit better. (laughs) Who we know Jesus to be. I keep stumbling over that line. Because of who we know Jesus to be. We know Jesus to be Lord of all. In verses 15 to 20, we, the church, understand Jesus to be the agent and the aim of all creation. Now, I'm not going to be able to satisfy your desire to, or maybe it's not a desire. I'm not going to be able to satisfy all the curiosities as to how this, what this section has to say. Verses 15 to 20. We're just going to look at it so briefly. But in 15 to 20, Paul begins to articulate this hymn of praise to Jesus. And he's going to talk about who Jesus is. And I encourage, if you want to know why Christians are excited about Jesus, these verses tell us why. Because this is who we believe him to be. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The Bible says that God has not been seen by human eyes until Jesus He is the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn over all creation. Now, don't get hung up on that. Some people say, well, is that saying Jesus was made? Is that saying Jesus is is not God, that he didn't exist before that? No, no, no. Firstborn had as much to do with rank and status as anything else. So Jesus being the firstborn, he's saying he is the highest rank. He is the supreme one over all creation. Verse 16 gives us the reason, for in him all things were created. And then he's going to explain that. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether rules, excuse me, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. 
When the church gathers under Christ, we're not gathering under some sort of side interest group. This is not a cult. This is the culmination of all creation. The world looks at you and looks at us like a cult because of our devotion to Christ, but, but by definition, a cult is sort of some sort of obscure, weird, offshoot, passionate fanaticism about something that does not really have anything to do with anything at all. It's sort of a, uh, an off-ramp. But Jesus is the head over all creation. Did you know that he made everything? The Messiah on the cross... The one who hung and died for you is the same one who spoke the galaxies into existence. Have you seen the pictures of the Webb telescope? Has, raise your hand if you've seen these pictures from the Webb telescope. Anybody? It's amazing. Isn't it amazing? All the galaxies. Galaxies. Our solar system is in one galaxy. But there's multiple galaxies. All of this created through him through the one who hung and died on the cross. He made the birds, the trees, the plants, the animals, the matter, all the chemistry and biology and, and, and all the physics, everything, everything was authored by him. The way that the body is designed to produce and carry life that was his idea. That was his handiwork. And the author of all creation who stands over it is the same one who chose to bring you into existence. You are not the product of random chance. I don't know who needs to hear that this morning. You are not here by accident. Let's throw that lie into the pit of hell. God is the author of life. Human beings reflect his image. Jesus Christ stands over all things visible. We haven't even touched the invisible yet. They say, well, we talked about physics. Okay, maybe. But the spiritual realities, the things that the ancient world seemed to, to really have a better sense of than we do nowadays, but the spiritual realm... These unseen forces of opposition, these, these spiritual dynamic at work. Jesus is ruler over all of it, over all the angels, over all the demons, over Satan himself. Jesus and Satan are not in some sort of yin-yang challenge for the universe. They're not in some sort of dueling opposition to see who's going to be supreme. Christ is supreme. There is, no, there is no rival to him. And so Satan and all the demonic forces, all the spiritual evil that, that we see and that we experience and that as Christians opposes us, none of this can challenge the supremacy of Christ. As Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 1, he was given the name that is above every name. He's the firstborn over all creation. More than that, verse 17, he's before all things. In him all things hold together. He is sustaining things right 
now. But verse 18, he's not just the head of the creation, he's the head of the new creation. Verse 18, he's the head of the body, the church. And there's this wonderful balance in these verses as now Paul shifts from what it means for Christ to be supreme over creation to now supreme over the new creation. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the preeminence. Death destroyed those who bore God's image. The result of the fall, the result of us wandering in paths of sin was that death became the curse that afflicted every single person. And we don't like to talk about it, do we? How often do we go about living our lives as if death isn't even a reality? We wake up and we think tomorrow's gonna be the same as today. And we think next month's gonna be the same as the last month. We are so not used to dealing with the curse of death that we get hit by a global pandemic for two years and we're still reeling. That's how deep the disillusion was. That's how, that's how far into the mirage we were. That we were somehow impervious to the effects of the curse and the effects of sin. But the reality is one out of one die. Except for the son. Except for Jesus. You see, he is the firstborn from among the dead. He died, but death couldn't hold him. He was in the grave, but he didn't stay there. He walked out of the tomb. And so, because of that, he has the supremacy in all things. Verse 19, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Notice the scope of the language. There is nothing that's out of order that Christ will not put in order. Oh, what a comfort that is. I'll say it again because I don't think you heard me. There is nothing out of alignment. There is nothing out of disorder that Christ will not bring back into order. And that starts with you. You say, what about my finances? He can sort out your finances. You say, what about my physical health? He can definitely sort out your physical health. What about my relationships? Absolutely, no problem. He can bring peace to your relationships. What about my career path? I'm in a dead end job. I don't have enough. I'm not gonna get where I'm gonna go. I'm being wasted. I'm languishing on the vine. My life has no meaning. My life has no purpose. Christ can sort that out because he has the supremacy in all things, you see. He is reconciling all things, but he's the head, it has to do it his way. <laughs> you see, he's not gonna sort out your finances, your, 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 your health, your relationships, all these things. He's not gonna sort that out through your own effort, through, through your own ingenuity. He's not gonna sort that out through, through the means of your flesh, of you saying, I'm gonna just really hold on tight to my bootstraps. I'm really gonna hold on tight and I'm gonna pull really, really hard and I'm gonna muster up all the strength and energy I have. He is not gonna do it that way. Why? Because you would become the one who has the supremacy. Because then, human beings as we are, we'd walk around and what would our boast be in? Our boast would be in ourselves. We'd say, look at what we've done. Look at what I've accomplished. Here's my books, I'm going on tour. <laughs> Who wants to sign up? But Christ must 
have the supremacy. A frustrated church is a church who's trying to operate independent of Jesus Christ. A languishing church is a church that's trying to operate on its own power and not in the power of the Spirit of Christ that indwells it. A frustrated church is a church that has Christ on the shelf but the idol in front of their face. He is the head. He must have the supremacy. And see, this is who we know him to be. This is not, this is not new information. This is not people saying, well, you know, we've, we've reasoned with this for 2,000 years. And, and the latest scholars have discovered that Christ really is supreme. That he really is Lord over all. And... And have you read this book? Because we found this incredible discovery that the key to the, to the plan of God for the whole universe is, is a man, Jesus Christ. We've just discovered that. No. That's been the confession of the church from the beginning. That's why the first Christians wouldn't bow to Caesar. That's why we won't bow to any national power. That's why we're not constrained by any any other force, our allegiance is first to Christ. How did he reconcile? How did he make peace? He reconciled all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Did Jesus have the power and the authority and the supremacy to be able to do that on his own? Yes, he did, but he did it through the cross. He did it through the cross. This is who the church knows Jesus to be. You see, if we don't believe it, why do we expect the world to believe it? Can I just ask, please, and I'm not saying, I don't know anyone who's necessarily doing this, but you might encounter people who are doing this. Can the church stop getting hot takes from the world on the legitimacy of Jesus and on what the church is supposed to be. You will never find the full answer of who the church is and who Jesus is in the world. I know they hold lots of microphones. But sometimes the church to me feels like a bunch of people looking at the world saying, do you think I'm doing the right thing? Do you think I'm following the right head? <laughs> All right. The church is the first place we should see Jesus' supremacy because of who we know Jesus to be. Secondly, the church is the first place we should see Jesus' supremacy because of what we know Jesus has done. What we know he's done. He's reconciled us to God, verses 21 to 23. We won't spend a lot of time here, but just listen to Paul. He unpacks it beautifully. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. We 
are the place where Christ's supremacy is shown, not just because of who we know and profess Jesus to be, but because of what we know he has done. How do we measure the work of Christ? Let's look just a simple way, the past, present, and the future. The past, you were enemies, estranged, alienated from God by your sin. Sin is not simply the outworking of the mind into the actions. It's also the impact of the actions on the mind. Sin sort of enfolds itself into us and upon us. And in sin, we become rebels. We shake our fists at God and say, I'm not going to do that. Love my wife? Well, you don't know what she did to me this week. Be honest with my employer? Oh, but they're not honest with me. I'm not going to do that. Share my possessions with the poor? Share my, share my resources? Why would I do that? Who's sharing their resources with me? Everything I have, I burn by my own sweat and grit. Sin warps our minds, but through the cross, Jesus brought us near. We are now reconciled to God. We are reconciled by Christ's death on the cross. You and I now have a state of peace with Jesus Christ. Peace with God because of what Jesus has done. You see, in all the falling short that has happened, and all of our inability to... to to be what we were meant to be, Jesus closed the entire gap and by spreading his arms on Calvary and dying for our sin, he's now brought us into peace with God. Isn't this incredible? That right now, this morning, those who trust in Jesus Christ have access to the creator. That God's not staring at you across from the table, pounding the table looking in your eye, condemning you. No, you're on God's side. He's working with you. He's working for you. He's, he is taking care of you. You see, you're reconciled to God right now. There's a certain, there's a certain high that our ego gets. I'm not sure if you've experienced this before, but, but there's this fleeting moment when you, when you take this sort of me against the world stand, you know, often it comes in a conflict. And those first few moments of being in conflict, your ego gets this hit of like, yes, I'm going to stand and I'm going to be independent and I'm going to hold to my principles and I'm not going to give in. And that lasts for a little bit. <laughs> but then shortly after, you just feel the distance and the loneliness? You just feel the estrangement? But those of us who've been reconciled in relationships know how sweet it is when you actually get back into that place of reconciliation. You get back into that space of saying, there's nothing in between us anymore. Well, that's what Jesus did. He removed every obstacle between you and him when he died on the cross. Every single obstacle, every single thing. In order that, for the future, he would present you holy. That means belonging to God. It means perfect, without blemish. Without blemish. What's a blemish? A blemish is an imperfection. It's a spot where you say, this, isn't what it's, this is not what it's supposed to be. 
without blemish and without accusation. When Jesus presents you to the Father, he presents you and there's going to be no voices. You know how sometimes in the, old, in the olden days, they used to say at weddings when you stand up the front, they used to say, if there's anyone who has any you know, reason to object to this man and this woman being brought together, and, and there's space to give, to give an objection, to say, well, actually, no, this isn't appropriate because of X, Y, Z. When Jesus presents you to the Father, his glorious bride, the wedding supper of the Lamb, and the new heavens and the new earth, there is going to be no space There's going to be no, is there anyone who objects to this? No. You will be presented without accusation. And let's be honest. How many of us are hiding from God because we fear the accusation? We fear the condemnation. Forgetting that Christ has reconciled you through his death. So, who we know Jesus to be, what we know Jesus has done, And the third reason the church should be the supreme, oh, excuse me, I forgot the transformation. Notice that we measure the impact of Jesus' death by how the gospel is proclaimed throughout the whole world. Look at the impact of that. We got to keep moving. Thirdly, the the church should be the first place where the supremacy of Christ is seen because of how we know Jesus lives. That is to say, how we experience our connection to Christ the head. How do we experience this? Paul has already said that he has been commissioned a servant of the gospel. But look at what he says to this church that he's never met. Remember, he hasn't been there. He hasn't had a cup of tea yet. They haven't taken him out for a meat pie or a sausage roll. They haven't done any of that yet, right? Listen to what Paul says, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Listen to that. For the sake of his body, which is the church, Paul is saying, in effect, I am suffering for your sake right now, and I celebrate it. When's the last time we celebrated suffering? I, this, feels, this feels distant for me, I'm sorry. If you had a better pastor, I would be able to embody this better. But this feels so far, doesn't it? To rejoice, to rejoice in the suffering that you're enduring for the sake of the body of Christ, the church. When's the last time you went the extra mile for a brother or sister or even simply feeling just fighting the temptation and fighting sin and, 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 and enduring the cost of discipleship. When's the last time you looked at that and said, I am so happy that I pay that? That's not meant to be a condemning question. It's meant to be a reshaping question so that we understand our mindset. I rejoice in what I'm suffering And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction. Now, Paul's not saying that he's going to be the next Jesus. But what he's doing is he's taking this image of the church as the body of Christ. And he said, if the head was crucified, the body is crucified as well. If the head suffered, as the hymn says, O sacred head now wounded, 
How much more will we continue to suffer? This is what Jesus said. This is a suffering of persecution. It's a suffering of endurance in this overlap between the ages where the kingdom of God has been inaugurated, but it's not yet consummated. And in this overlapping period, the church, the body is filling up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of the church. As one of the church fathers would say, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Paul says, I've become a servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in all its fullness, the mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Notice, not to the world, to the Lord's people. They know this. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works within me. There is so much in there. I try to simplify it. How are we, the body joined to the head? First of all, corporately, we're joined together by faith in his name. The moment you put your trust in Christ, you are, through the new covenant, brought into the body of Christ. You are united with Christ. When you believe, and that's what your baptism symbolizes. If you haven't been baptized yet, why not? What are you waiting for? Baptism is a public declaration, a public profession of your faith. It's your public statement that I belong to the body of Christ. And so as Christ was buried, I too have been buried. And as Christ has risen, so I will rise. And that is my hope and that is my identity. So corporately, by faith, we are joined, all of us, to him, our head. Now, vicariously, as Paul says, we fill up what is lacking in his sufferings. There is a cost while the world is still enjoying its season, there is a cost that the church pays, that the Christian pays. This is really important because if we adopt the world's values that says the point of life is to minimize suffering, honestly, if that's your view of life, that the point of life is to minimize suffering, and that's your number one, that will, that will exclude you from the body. Because there will come a time where, because you belong to Christ, and this isn't every time, it's not every day as a Christian, but there will be times as a believer, as a member of the body of Christ, where for you to walk in faithfulness and to do what the head is telling you to do, it's gonna cost you something, it'll put you in a vulnerable position, and you may suffer. And if you and I have predetermined that that's not the point of life, we will reject what the head is telling us right out of hand. Church, in this season of waiting, there will be times of suffering. But rejoice in it. Why? Because it means... It means you belong to someone greater. You belong to Christ. You belong to the one who is Lord over all. Thirdly, functionally, we, we are joined to the head by the enabling of his power. Paul is very careful to say that he's doing all of this, not in his own strength, but in the strength that Christ gives. 
I hope that God in his mercy shows you the difference between, between letting the Lord work through you and you working for the Lord. I was talking to one of our former pastors, my brother-in-law, Jeff Buster, a few weeks ago. And Jeff had a great line. He said, he said, you know, Jonathan, we were talking about things. He said, you know, Jonathan, he said, I reckon like busyness is kind of like smoking for the Christian. No, I'm not having a go at you smokers, right? But generally, society looks at smoking as an addiction, as a habit that's maybe not good for you. It helps you feel full, but it's not really sustaining you. I thought, that's a... That's a very interesting connection. How often do we run to busyness? Do we run into activity? I'm going to do this for the Lord. I'm going to do this for the Lord, thinking that's going to nourish, that's going to nourish my spirit. That's going to nourish my relationship with God. Look what I've built for you, Lord. Look what I've done for you. Look what I've sacrificed for you. Look what all these things I've done for you. That's not going to sustain you. If my hands started suddenly just doing whatever they wanted to do, and then came to my head and said, look what I've done. <laughs> That's a problem because it means there's no connection between the rest of my body and my head. We need to work through the enabling power that, his, that he gives to us. Lastly, we know that Jesus lives because gloriously we are indwelt by his spirit. You see, all of these things tell us that Christ is alive. Christ is alive. The spreading of the gospel, people coming to know him, being born again through the power of the Spirit, people enduring suffering for Jesus, which makes absolutely no sense in this world today, people functioning through the power of Christ, doing things that only he can do, that are not explainable by human minds. We got a bus parked in the car park. Why? I don't know, other than God put it on the heart of one saint to come up to us one day after we'd been praying to say, you know what, I got a bus. Can you church use a bus? I said, yes, we've had a great need. We've been praying. I can't explain that. We can recount the stories. Gloriously, we know his presence within us through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit confesses bears witness with our spirit that we are, that we are the children of God. By way of application, how do we experience his supremacy? We experience his supremacy. I want to just, just put forward to you four transforming spaces. We talk about transformation here. It's part of our vision. This is four, four ways you and I might experience this transformation. First of all, by believing your faith in Christ is a transformational work that is accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. Your growing understanding and knowledge of who Jesus is and your reliance upon him is transformation. I don't know how big Christ was for you when you walked through the doors today, but I pray he's bigger now than when you came in. 
I don't know how big your problems felt. I don't know if you felt like church is just this haphazard, human-run thing. I don't know if you felt like the church is, is not a going concern anymore, but I hope that you take the words of Scripture seriously to heart, which says that Jesus Christ is the plan. He is the design. He is the purpose for the world, and that you build your life on that. Secondly, I hope that you experience transformation in the sense of belonging the God who made everything sought you. He loved you. He died for you. And he brought you into his assembly. He brought you into his family. I hope you understand that you belong to him. I hope you know the freedom of reconciliation, of having peace with God. If you don't know peace with God, Stop what you're doing because that's the gospel. Peace is on offer. Thirdly, I hope that, that you enter this space of becoming, that you realize that to belong to the head, to belong to Christ, to, to be in him and for him to be in you means that he is going to exert his influence over your life. He's going to exert his power over your life. He's going to exert his will and his direction. That's why we preach the scriptures. That's why we devote ourselves to the word. That's why when we gather as believers, we, we're, we're about to take communion in a little bit. What we're doing here is we are enacting through sign and symbol, we're enacting the gospel so that we can show it to one another and so that we can proclaim it to one another. And finally, what does it look like to begin Christ is the Lord over a new creation, a new creation. God is doing a new work. I'll invite the band to come and lead us in a song now. We're going to sing uh, what the church professes about Christ. I just want to encourage you, if you need a new beginning, maybe it's because you're stuck, maybe it's because you... You never feel like you've ever been free. Christ came to give that. That's why he rose from the dead so that you could have that new beginning. And it looks like trusting him. So as we sing these words, I pray that your heart is filled with that joy. Would you stand with us?